Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word and Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right. Well, uh, we have seen uh, perhaps the most unlikely conversion uh, in Acts chapter 9 in Kind of halfway through the chapter here, toward the end, we shift gears a bit, and we're going to follow Peter's ministry for a little bit, and there's going to be some huge changes here. I mean, these are some pretty revolutionary events that are happening in the book of Acts, from the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and now the, uh, well, spoiler alert here, the inclusion of the Gentiles is going to be really something that this theme will take us through so much of the rest of the New Testament. Yes, not, and we don't mean just the book of Acts with that. We mean several of the different epistles. Paul will be dealing with the brethren, uh, either Jewish or Gentile, who are having a hard time getting along because of their backgrounds. And so he is going to try and appeal to them. The book of, book of Galatians comes to mind. The book of Romans comes to mind. And try to appeal to them and get them to realize you are all one in Jesus Christ. So you must get along with one another and see each other as, as brothers and sisters now. So pivotal chapter in the book of Acts, so we're glad to be able to talk about it today. Yeah. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 9. Uh, partway through, we are picking up in Acts 9 and verse 32, and uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Acts nine thirty-two. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So Peter uh, is starting his ministry. As we see, we've seen him doing a little bit of work earlier back in chapter 4, and well, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. Um, but now he comes down to the saints in Lydda, and there is this man named Aeneas. Um, he's been bedridden for eight years, not able to walk, and Peter tells him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately, he got up. This is just so cool to see Peter attributing this to Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I think there was a time when we were going through the Gospel of Mark where I would question if Peter would actually have done this, uh, if he would actually have been in, in a humble way, been able to... to attribute his power and his ability to Jesus Christ. But we've seen that already in the book of Acts. Uh, we saw him do that with the, the beggar um, in Acts chapter 3. He was very quick to say it wasn't by his own religion or piety that the man was healed, but it was by the name of Jesus Christ. And the same is obviously true here as well. He says, it is Jesus Christ who heals you, so get up and make your bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, this feels like something straight out of the gospel accounts when you read it. Uh, Jesus healing the lame, uh, very similar thing here. He immediately gets up, makes his bed, and the word about Jesus spreads throughout these cities. Now, these are kind of coastal towns. Peter's going to be kind of heading north as he does uh, his ministry here, because most of Peter's work has been in Jerusalem, but here we kind of have Peter going out for a bit um, and doing some work in some other places. But the thing that we saw at the beginning of the book of Acts, when Luke introduced this book, is he said, this is... Um, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And here in Acts 9 and continuing, I mean, this whole book has been what Jesus has continued to do and teach. 
through the hands and the mouths of his apostles. So the result of what Peter does here is really cool. It's something, another common theme we've seen through Acts. All who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw the man who was, who was healed, and they turned to the Lord. We've said this in previous podcasts, but the miracles, they were not just party tricks that the apostles were doing or that Jesus was doing, but miracles would confirm the message from the Lord, to confirm the message from God. And so that's exactly what this healing did. It helped people understand who Jesus is and listen to the apostles about what Jesus came to do. So that kind of leads us into the next section. Let's uh, see what else happens. Uh, Verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she did continually. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they washed her body... They laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Yeah, so again, so similar to Jesus's miracles here when he raises Jairus's daughter from the dead in like Mark chapter 5. Um, and again, nearby town, Joppa, uh, this little girl is named Tabitha or Dorcas, both words for gazelle, whether Greek or Aramaic. And um, we learn a lot about her just from her funeral service here, basically. is We don't really know about her life. We know about her resurrection. But even just as he's introducing her, she's full of good works, acts of charity, and she becomes ill to the point of death. Um, so they've laid her in this upper room. And again, this seems almost like a, you know, a memorial service that's going on here where the widows are there and they're mourning her. Yeah, I, I love how it tells us that they're like showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. So they're kind of looking over all the great things she had done for others and her, her craftsmanship as a as somebody who sews and who knits maybe. And they're just remembering her, uh, which I think is just so special. And it really humanizes some of the stories we read about in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about, you know, I don't know how widely known Tabitha was. But she made a difference in the lives of these disciples. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just so many times where we get caught up in wanting to be well-known or to get well-known in a broad sense. You know, everybody wants their 15 seconds of fame or whatever. And like, Tabitha is a great example of humble daily service. That when she dies, all those things are remembered. The, the garments that she would make for these widows... The, the type of service that she wasn't doing this to be seen by people, but she was just serving and giving. And uh, 
so when she dies, they send for Peter. It's kind of interesting. He was there at uh, Lydda and then is sent for. And so he's going to get like calls from these different towns that like he just, the opportunities are rolling in. So he, he comes to uh, Joppa and uh, he goes into this upper room and um, he puts them all outside. He kneels down and prays. And then he turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise. And she opens her eyes. She sits up. And then he's able to present her alive to the people who were there. And of course, man, you can't keep this news quiet. Um, it spreads all throughout Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. And we don't know about the rest of Peter's time there. Luke records that he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon, a tanner, like, one more Simon. I'm yeah, there, there's, there's another a ton one. Of them. That's, I think the third one to pop up uh, in the book of Acts so far. Yeah, but again, just seeing how Jesus is continuing to work here. Again, these two counts with the 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 lame man being healed, Dorcas being raised from the dead. It, it's just uh, remarkable, and I think very intentional that as Luke is writing this account, he has written an account of Jesus's miracles, including these things. And now he is writing an account of Jesus' disciples going out and doing what Jesus did in the world. Um, their teaching, their their works are like the works of their master. And so this is a beautiful thing. Jesus continuing to heal, continuing to work and be a blessing um, as the gospel spreads. So yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of Matthew 10, 25. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. And that's all these men wanted to be. They are disciples. They were followers of Jesus, so their very actions are imitating him. Um, so it's really cool to be able to see that through the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Now Peter's going to get a very different kind of opportunity in Acts chapter 10, and uh, we'll try to cover this chapter here. Um, but uh, very pivotal events here. Let's read together um, Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to do a bigger chunk here. Let's do verses 1 through 23, at least the first part of 23. My Bible breaks there. Um, Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, it's about 3 p.m., He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, it's about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, 
do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. So we get to Caesarea, and there's this man here named Cornelius. Um, he's a Gentile man, a centurion, so you hear the word century in there, so over like a hundred men is kind of the idea in the Roman army, the Italian cohort. And uh, I love what the Bible tells us about this guy. Verse 2 tells us he was a devout man. Um, devout meaning, I just kind of dedicated yeah. is what comes D to my devoted. mind. Yeah, devoted, yeah. That, that type of thing. Uh, he was somebody who fears God. And he's not just fearing God by himself. It says he feared God with all his household. He was a man of conviction, but a man who also wanted his convictions to be influenced on his household as well. And he gives alms. Uh, giving alms means, you know, money and that kind of thing. He's very giving to the Jewish people. And he's somebody that prays to God continually. So uh, definitely a God-fearing man. Somebody, although not a Jew, fears God, fears Yahweh, and is, is wanting to do what's right. Yeah. And so he's not saved at this point he's not in a relationship with god he's fearing god he's doing some things that he knows are good but he is going his life is going to change with this so so it's about uh three in the afternoon and he gets this vision from an angel and it's just interesting to me like when we think about meeting angels and like you see this in movies and stuff people are like oh wow cool like in the bible when people see even an angel of god there's terrified they're like scared out of their mind like oh like what's going on and he's like it's okay like your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before god like god's listening to his prayers even though he's not right yet but he god's listening to him and so he is going to use peter and i just think this is kind of an interesting side note that god could have easily come down himself or told the angel to like hey go tell him what he needs to do but God uses humans to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's really fascinating to me that God doesn't come and tell him himself. Not even the angel tells him. He's like, you need to go get this human guy. Go get Peter, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. And that had to be crazy. So they're like, okay, like, here we go. So he sends uh, his servants and a soldier and sends them out to Joppa. Yeah, and it's there on the next day uh, that they're on their way and they get closer to the city and Peter is up there praying. Um, again, we we'd already talked about just how similar the apostles are to Jesus. That's something Jesus would regularly do. He would slip away to pray and it's cool to see his disciples doing the same thing. So Peter goes on to pray somewhere. And I relate to Peter so much. Verse 10 tells us, 
he becomes hungry. I cannot tell you how many times I'm trying to do something, maybe praying or something spiritual, and I get hungry, you know, like it, it happens, right? And uh, it's at that moment that he becomes hungry and is desiring to eat, and, you know, supper is still being made in the house of, of Simon the Tanner. And he can smell it. Uh, yeah, he can smell it. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. And so his, his stomach is kind of growling as he's sitting there trying to focus on praying. And he falls into this trance. Um, it tells us in verse 10. And in this like vision, it's very interesting. Luke uh, tries to explain it to us as kind of like this big sheet that is lowered down uh, by its four different corners. But it's what's inside the sheet that's really interesting. There are four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. Now, if you're not a Jew reading this, you might not think anything of it. But what do we know from Jewish law about these animals? These are unclean. I mean, that's what Peter says after the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, no, like that would be totally against God's law. I would never let anything unclean enter my mouth. And then the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And Peter is just like, oh, got it. I 100% understand what you're talking about, right? Right. No. no it's pretty confusing to Peter. <laughs> it happens three times, it tells us in verse 16. Uh, before, And he's still pondering this by the time you get into verse 17. He yeah. doesn't really understand what's happened. Which, I just as a side note, you know, sometimes we talk with people and people say that they've had some kind of religious experience and like heard things from God. And like, I know exactly what God wants me to do. A lot of times in scripture, when real prophets like really heard things from God, they were about as confused by it as anything. Yeah. Like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, like it was like, what did that even mean? Yeah. I don't even know what's going on. I might have to think about that some more. Right. And by the end of the chapter, this is going to make total sense to Peter and to us. But like as we're reading, it's like, uh, why, why the animals? Like, what's God talking about? Um, so he kind of stores this up. He's going to think about it later. And so, and I mean, all this happens like boom, boom, boom. So like, he's still waiting for food. And then there's like a knock at the gate. And it's these guys looking for Simon Peter. He's like, yeah, like, it's me. But while he's, you know, waiting for him, the spirit tells him, like, hey, there's three men looking for you. And notice what it says in verse 20. Go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. In this chapter, it's hard for us to appreciate how awkward this would have been for Peter. Oh, this is stepping all over his conscience. Yeah. Like, this is really, really hard for him to accept. This would have been wrong for him to go into a Gentile's house. We'll see that in just a minute. It's not wrong for him to have them in over. Right. But the Spirit has to tell him, like, don't hesitate. Like, this is from me. I have sent these guys. So Peter has received at least like three confirmations already that this is from God. He got the vision three times. The Spirit told him, hey, go with these guys. Don't hesitate. And then they're like, hey, Cornelius, a holy angel showed up to him to invite you to his house and to hear what you have to say. So it's like three different confirmations so far that this is from God. And Peter obeys. And that's a really important lesson for us to learn. When we're being told something by God's word, by the scriptures as we have it today, even if that thing goes against everything we've known and believed for our entire lives, we better be ready to say yes, Lord, and go. Um, Peter was doing something that he was not comfortable with, but because it was confirmed from God, he went. And that's a huge lesson for us to learn today. So that kind of leads us into uh, the next section. Um, I'm going to pick up halfway through verse 23 there. Um, 
And I'll read down uh, as far as verse 33. It says, On the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up! I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send a Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So you want to talk about a captive audience. Uh, they're, they're waiting for him. They're ready for Peter, and uh, they're ready for everything he has to say. But you learn pretty quickly that this is not something Cornelius is used to. Um, he, he's still got a lot to learn, because when Peter gets there, he falls down and starts worshiping Peter, and Peter is quick to say, hey, no, 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 Like I'm just like you, man. I'm just a man, so don't worship me. Yeah, I also appreciate that Cornelius hasn't kept them to himself. I mean, if a holy angel says, like, hey, you need to hear what this guy has to say, he's called together his relatives and close friends and wants everybody to hear, like, this is really important. This is from God, so let's, let's get together uh, for Peter's message. And uh, just as a side note, like you mentioned, like, you know, he, he starts to worship Peter. He's like, you know, he doesn't know what to expect. And Peter's like, no, like, don't do that. You, you see people rejecting worship in the New Testament. You even see angels rejecting worship. Book like of Revelation. Revelation 19.10, Revelation 22.9. Um, and over in Acts 14, verse 15, we'll see Paul and Barnabas rejecting worship. And this is significant because, like, we don't worship servants of God. Any, any kind of messenger or servant or created being, only God alone, the uncreated one, is worthy of worship. What's interesting about that is Jesus accepts worship mm -hmm. on earth. Uh, so there's just some powerful side notes here as far as like when we see that contrast. And Peter, you know, you mentioned this earlier, that he is going through a transformation of conscience in this moment. Uh, in verse 27... He talked with them. He went in and found many persons gathered. Like that was stepping over that threshold was a big deal for Peter. Sometimes our conscience needs to be adjusted. Like there's something that we didn't think was wrong. And then we find out it's wrong. And that was the thing that happened to Saul in the previous chapter. Like he thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. And he found out he was dead wrong. And so he adjusted and served Jesus and helped Christians. Peter, it's kind of going the other way here. He thought initially like this was something wrong for him to do, but he finds out it's right for him to do. 
And that can be a hard adjustment of conscience as well. It's like, hey, I thought this was wrong, but actually it's okay. This is what God wants. And so he steps in and he says in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Does that sound familiar uh, from the vision where it says that what God has made clean, do not call common. So like, he's like, ah, this is what the animal sheet was about. This wasn't just about food. Um, This was about something much bigger than that. It's about the Gentiles and being willing to accept them in into the Lord. Um, And I'm sure this will be something that we get into a lot more later, but it was a pretty common thing for the Jews way of thinking Jewish Christians that, well, if you want to obey God, you got to become a Jew first. You got to, you know, proselyte. That means become a Jew, even though you were a Gentile. Um, and then you can believe in Jesus and repent and be baptized and become a Christian. Well, this whole chapter is flipping that whole idea on its head. God is saying, no, 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 they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to observe the feast days. What they need to do is believe in Jesus and repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, just like everybody else. Um, and that's just going to be such a, a, a huge shift in thinking for so many people. And that's why it's going to be a source of disagreement between the Jewish Christians uh, from Acts 10, really all, all into chapter 15. We'll see the whole conversation yeah, resurface. This is not the last time this right. comes up, that's for sure. And so Cornelius you know, tells them, hey, this is the vision I got. This is why I sent for you. And so Peter here is going to really put the pieces together and present the gospel to them. Uh, We're picking up in Acts 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter has learned a very valuable lesson, um, one that hopefully he will carry for the rest of his life, that God is not one to show partiality. 
Um, another way I've heard that translated is God does not show favoritism. But it's every person, every nation, every man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Yeah. That, that's the only contingency. It, it doesn't depend on your skin color or your ethnic background or your economic status. None of that matters. But it's are you willing to humble yourself before God and do what is right? If so, you are welcome to him and you're welcome to be forgiven. Yeah. I mean, that is the huge thing in this chapter it is there are there are artificial lines that we all try to draw. And I can understand Peter's drawing some of these lines given the Old Testament background and things like that. But God is making a new kingdom made up of all of the kingdoms of the world. <laughs> like people from all the kingdoms of the world, I should say. It's not like putting them all together, but like it is a multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-economic. Like it's it's people from every tribe and race and land and language. Like all of these people are being brought into God's kingdom. And this chapter is like what makes it super crystal clear. They're like, no, it it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your cultural background is. If you submit to God, you become part of jesus's people part of god's people you're forgiven of your sins and that's what the church got the assembly the body of christ is supposed to be is this multi-ethnic multi-racial whatever like we're all supposed to be one in jesus and peter had some real adjustments to make in this chapter and realizing that and like the implications of that and so did a lot of other people we're going to see in the next chapter x15 like you mentioned this is a conversation that takes us through like the rest of the new testament i love a couple of the things that peter will point out that was jesus's mission um in verse 36 he says that jesus came preaching peace it was preaching peace through jesus christ he is lord of all uh peace between each other peace between ourselves and god peace with ourselves just in general that's a message jesus came preaching not just for jews but for everybody. And doesn't that just make sense when you look back on the teachings of Jesus? And I think that's something Peter is starting to, things are starting to click for him. Uh, I love how it says in verse 38 about uh, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, I thought this was really interesting. There in verse 38, uh, it says that uh, Jesus was out healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, which I think is <laughs> yeah, very interesting. The, the idea that they were they were a part of Satan's domain and of Satan's kingdom, but Jesus came in rescuing them and taking them out uh, captive, which is a really cool biblical idea because God was with Jesus. Um, but then finally, in verse 39, Jesus eventually was put to death on a cross. And God, verse 40, raised him up from the dead. Peter says, we were all witnesses to this. Um, and we, we saw him risen from the dead. And this all happened in verse 42 because Jesus ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Um, and so we're here to preach this message to you about everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, regardless of race, regardless of any background. Um, so you can go back to Acts 2 and you can see the similarities between Peter's sermon there in Peter's sermon here. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, who do you need to know about? You need to know about Jesus. You need to know about what he came to do 
and you need to know the fact that he came to die for our sins, regardless of your background. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cool to see Peter's consistency in his message. Yeah. And again, like, I'm sure he, this message would have included a lot of other things like, well, you need to keep the law of Moses and you need there's feast days and circumcision and like all these things in the law that you have to keep now that you want to follow Jesus because Jesus was a Jew and you need to be Jewish. It's like, well, yes, Jesus was a Jew. He did keep those things. But God fulfilled the law in Jesus. And now it's like, no, like you don't have to, to keep the Jewishness part of it. You just have to keep the, the Jesusness part of it. That, yeah. I didn't mean that to sound so similar, but there it is. Um, you be committed to Christ. You be committed to him and his ways, what he taught. And, of course, the Old Testament, tremendous amount of value and help in seeing how God worked with the Jews in their culture and gave them that. But this chapter is super clear about, like, okay, like Gentiles do not have to become Jews, and they're in. And to seal the deal, this is like, Peter's received all these other signs, but while he's talking the Holy Spirit just falls on these Gentile people. Comes right in, and they're speaking in tongues. The people who came with Peter are astonished. Like, the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles? Like, what's going on? Like, this reminds them, and they'll say this in the next chapter, like, this is just like what happened on the day of Pentecost. Like, this is like, back at the beginning, this happened with the Jews, and now the door's open to the Gentiles. Which, by the way, is just a side note. When Jesus told Peter, like, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and, like, you're going to open and shut and stuff. I think this is part of what he was talking about. I think you're right. That, like, Peter was the guy who stood up on Pentecost and opened the door to the Jews. And now he's the guy standing in Cornelius' house in Acts 10, opening the door to the Gentiles. And so I think that's a helpful connection to make. But um, Peter asks a question to the guys with him in verse 47. Like, hey, guys. Any objections? Can anybody withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? The reason he had to ask that is because typically, yeah, there would have been objections. They would have said, no, they're not circumcised. They're not keeping the law. They're not doing the Jewish stuff. And so he has to say, like, okay, guys, like, you've seen the signs. You you see him, you hear him speaking new languages. Like, any objections? We got to get these guys baptized. And so he commands them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And these people are saved. And forgiveness and kingdom it spreads out to the Gentiles. This is a beautiful chapter to see just how the gospel continues to break down walls. And people that used to be on the outside are brought inside. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. Um, for anyone who's who's wanting some extra credit, uh, read Ephesians 2 a- after reading this chapter. There's some really cool stuff there. A lot of let, good comparisons. Let us know, and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll credit it to you. Yeah, we'll send you the certificate. Your account. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, this is a, a really cool chapter. But one other note I want to make about it is, although this is life-changing for Peter, and, and it's, it's a very pivotal moment for not only Bible history, but for him, this is not going to be something Peter easily accepts. Anytime there's a change of conscience, something that God is telling us we need to change about ourselves, that doesn't come overnight. In fact, in Galatians, the second chapter, uh, Peter will actually continue to struggle with how he treats Jews and how he treats Gentiles. This is going to be something he continually is working on, and Paul ends up calling him out for it there in Galatians, the second chapter. Um, and that, that's really the case. Anytime we've come to Scripture and come to God's Word and it's trying to correct something in us, 
we need to be diligent about letting it actually correct us. Uh, don't, don't just do it on the surface. Let it run deep and let it truly change our actions, our thoughts, and uh, the way we treat other people. So Peter's a good example of that. And for the next episode, uh, we are going to rehash a little bit of what happened in chapter 10 and chapter 11. But it's because Luke is trying to explain to us how serious this really was. Because Peter's going to get back to Jerusalem and there are going to be some people, some Jewish people, who are mad at Peter for what he did. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to explain what happened. That's right, because they weren't there. I mean, the signs are for Peter and for the guys with him. And he's going to have to say, okay, like, trust me, guys. Like, I was hesitant until God gave me confirmation after confirmation. And this is what happened. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see a little bit more of that next week. But thank you guys for listening to the episode today. Um, Please, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe, rate, review. It makes it a lot easier for us to reach more people. If you'd like to reach out to us for online Bible studies, 717-585-0949, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thank you all so much for listening.